Daniel chapter 7, the second half of the chapter. In the first half, Daniel talks about his night visions. And then he was having trouble understanding them, even though we know that Daniel previously had been able to not only interpret dreams and visions, but to even, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, without knowing what the dream was, Daniel was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was, and that was what Nebuchadnezzar had required. Remember, he said, if somebody can't tell me what the dream was about and then interpret it for me, I'm going to kill all you guys, all the wise men, all the Chaldeans, that whole entire order, which Daniel at that point had become the head. And so Daniel was able to do that. But in this case, he's struggling uh, with what these things mean. And then he receives an angelic visitation, uh, which in turn provides for him the interpretation. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask your blessings upon the studies of your holy scriptures, that you'd give us insight, understanding, wisdom, guidance, and direction that we may be able to successfully navigate these troubled waters of the final days of human history as we now know it. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. So verse 13, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And again, I uh, wanted to get a clearer understanding of we have dreams, you have visions, and so forth, but what is a night vision? A night vision is simply a vision that you have when you're like half asleep or half awake. In other words, it's revelation you see when you have some physical awareness. And some people refer to this as the twilight state. It's the state you're in early in the morning when you're just beginning to wake up or at night when you're just beginning to fall asleep. You're aware that you are sleeping and dreaming, but you are fully aware nonetheless. Visions that you have in this state are what the Bible refers to as night visions. So this is what Daniel is referring to. I was watching in the night visions, and he sees one like the Son of Man. This happens to be the very first biblical reference to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the Son of Man, a title that as you know, our Lord often used of himself. In fact, 69 times in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 69 times Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And here he is. This is the first time this title is used for him in the scriptures. And Daniel sees him coming with the clouds of heaven. And so what Daniel is witnessing here is the second coming of Christ with the saints, the clouds of God. Jude 1, 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Remember Enoch was, he's a type of the church because he was raptured. Do you remember the story of Enoch? How he walked with God and we're told there in Genesis and he was not. He was not what? He was not here anymore. God caught him up into heaven while he was still alive. He was, that was the first rapture. Enoch, so Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. He's talking here about false teachers, deceivers of the last days. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them 
of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. He uses that word three times. And we are certainly, I believe, living in those times that he is describing where ungodliness has reached an apex or a pinnacle. In fact, I'm going to pause right here to emphasize that. There was something else I wanted to share with you. And I'm going to just inject it into the message. Just have to find it real quick. To show you the kind of ungodliness we're dealing with today. So there were a couple different articles that popped up. One, school district non-binary student numbers up a staggering 582%. Do you know what that means, non-binary? That means kids who don't identify as either gender. They're totally confused. They don't know what they are. And they're basically the same article in a different setting. Montgomery County Schools, I believe this is in Alabama or Georgia, I'm not, let's see. Oh, South Carolina. Montgomery County Schools share data claiming 582% increase in gender non-conforming students. 582%. Uh, again, I've told you this over and over again. There is a concerted effort going forth to totally destroy our young people today. To totally destroy any sense of identity of who or what they are. And if that isn't the epitome of ungodliness, I don't know what is. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then Revelation 1-7, Behold, he, Jesus, is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. So this is not the rapture. This is the second coming at the end of the tribulation when he comes back with the saints, with us. The rapture, he comes for us, meets us up in the air. At the second coming, he comes with us to establish his kingdom on the earth. All of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So Daniel sees him here, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. And so what this scene here that Daniel is witnessing is Jesus approaching the Father's throne. Then to him, verse 14, Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall never be destroyed. So as he approaches the Father's throne, the Father then imparts to him the dominion and the glory and a kingdom. This is, the, again, the initiation of the millennial kingdom of Christ on the earth, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So we've talked about this before, but at the end of the tribulation, there will be people left alive, not many, a large percentage of the earth's population will have been killed off. But there will be some left alive. And this is where you have the separation of the sheep and the goats. There will be people alive on the earth at the return of Christ who are believers. They've received Christ during the tribulation. They will remain to repopulate the earth. The goats, the wicked, the evil, the non-believers will be cast out into outer darkness. 
And so that's why it says all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him because there will be remnants of people from different ethnicities and so forth left on the earth when he returns. So this is a description of the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth. And then it's segue on into eternity. Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud noises in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we get to verse 15, and Daniel says, I was grieved. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. This is kind of a new thing for Daniel. But remember, like Nebuchadnezzar before him, when, when he's first called in to help Nebuchadnezzar interpret his dreams, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Nebuchadnezzar was really troubled by his dreams, remember? And now Daniel is disturbed by his night visions. So he had demonstrated the ability to interpret dreams on previous occasions. He could not interpret this one or his next one in chapter 8, as we'll see later on. He wasn't fearful. He was just troubled by his inability to understand the meaning of the vision. Verse 16, I approached one of those standing there, be an angelic being, and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, those are what we saw in the first half of the chapter last week. Those great beasts, which are four, remember the four great world empires, are four kings which arise out of the earth. We talked about this last week. If you missed it, go see uh, Larry Hedrick and you can get a DVD or a CD or go to our website. I believe it's posted on there. Is that correct, Kim? Yep, yep. The audio, not the video, but we're, uh, usually uh, we get kicked off of YouTube. <laughs> uh, but Facebook usually keeps us on, so Facebook Live would have last week's message or the audio portion would be on our website. So, verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. In contrast to these four kings, these four world empires, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So again confirming that all earthly kingdoms will fall, and we're witnessing the beginnings of that now, of course, the uh, Antichrist will have his 15 minutes of fame. But all of these earthly kingdoms will fall and give way to the kingdom of God ruled over by his son, Jesus Christ. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. So our inheritance, folks, as saints, on top of everything else, the salvation of our souls, the, the, the precious gift of eternal life, our inheritance is to be joint heirs with Christ in his kingdom. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's an interesting statement there because there are some segments of the church, some teachings in the church that would promote and encourage the avoidance of suffering at all costs, that if you have enough faith, then you won't suffer, you won't be sick, you won't have problems, 
And if you do have problems, it's because your faith is too weak. And yet, the scriptures clearly teach that part of our ongoing preparation for eternity is that even as Christ suffered, we will have to endure suffering in this life, in this world. But notice, if indeed we suffer with him, if we're willing to follow the hard road, the hard path, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Not that we go out looking for problems. Well, you don't have to do that, do you? They, they show up all on their own. But, and again, that's one of the strategies the enemy uses against us. If you will just back away and not be such a crazy, fanatical Christian, just be like a nominal Christian, then I'll leave you alone. That's one of the devil's strategies. We can't give way to that. We can't give in to that. We have to be willing to stand no matter what the cost because eternity stands in the, in the breach there. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And that's one of the dangers of the extreme version of the once saved, always saved doctrine, which comes from Calvinism. I firmly believe we are secure in Christ. I've shared many times with you, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, we are eternally secure in Christ. As long as you stay in Christ, you're fine. And no man can snatch you out of the Father's hands. But the question remains, can you willingly choose to walk away from God? And there are ample scriptures to indicate that that is possible. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But the point here is a positive one, and that is, as the saints of God, we are heirs with Christ. We will inherit all things that he possesses. We will be joint heirs with him. We will rule and reign with him. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. Verse 19, then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. So Daniel has the sense here that this fourth beast is much more significant, much more dangerous than the others. And then he goes on, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. And so, as is often the case, remember Jesus, there was nothing about him physically that would draw people to him we read about in the book of Isaiah. He had no form or comeliness. God deliberately sent Jesus into this world in a form that would require people to tap in to his heart, his mind, his spirit, and not just be drawn by outward appearances. And yet here, there's an indicator that this fourth beast, the Antichrist, will have something about him. His appearance was greater than his fellows. Remember Saul. Israel demanded a king. Up until that point, they had judges 
the final one being Samuel, and they were a theocracy, which meant that God was their king. God was the king of Israel, and God did not want them to have an earthly king. He didn't want them to be like the other nations. But they insisted, they demanded that they have a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. How many times does that get us in trouble, right? Wanting to be like everybody else. And so the people, not God, the people chose Saul because he was head and shoulders above every other man in the land. He was really tall. I remember many years ago, I used to have a radio program. Now we just do the TV. This was a long time ago, but somebody came to church one time because they'd, they'd heard me on the radio and wanted to come and check out the church. And they said, wow, you sound a lot taller on the radio. <laughs> and the Antichrist will be one whose appearance is greater than his fellows. And so, as I started to say, we've seen through history that certain individuals where, whether it's an actual physical attractiveness, I know in, over the years as I've watched and observed and participated in numerous presidential elections, often, particularly the female voters, talk about, they, a lot of them used to talk about how handsome Bill Clinton was and they were going to vote for him because he was so good looking. I never really saw that, but there's an old expression, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And it's sad because oftentimes that's true, not only in the political world, but in the religious world as well. That people are drawn by outward appearances, by charisma, if you will. Remember, Paul used to get criticized because they said he wasn't a very good public speaker. And yet, the majority of the New Testament was written by Paul, and I think he did a pretty good job. What do you think? And so again, the people will be deceived. His appearance was greater than his fellows. And notice... Uh, he had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words. Again, a very appropriate description of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. I think we might have read this last week, but it bears repeating. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, big D, the day of the Lord, which again, as we've talked about, is a series of events, I believe triggered by the rapture of the church, the tribulation going on into the millennium, the day of the Lord. Man has had his day on the earth, and we have blown it. Now God's going to have his day. For that day will not come until the, unless the falling away comes first, the apostasia. And by the way, you can't fall away from something you never had, right? It's not talking about people who are already non-believers. They can't fall away. They've never been there. The falling away is a departure worldwide from the truth the true gospel of Christ, the true words of Christ, and we see it happening all around us all the time. The uh, purpose-driven church, the emergent church, the seeker-friendly church, reinventing Christianity, modifying it, altering it to try to appeal to the postmodern men and women and non-binaries. The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God. And by the way, there is no temple right now, is there? So we know this is a future event. And already, the religious folks within Israel, the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox, 
They already have all the implements and instruments in place. Even a prefabricated temple is stored in a warehouse ready to be erected. And I would say that would happen the moment the coming future Antichrist signs his seven-year peace treaty. Israel has peace, apparently, on all sides, and she is now free to rebuild her temple. That's coming soon. And then in the middle of the tribulation, as we know, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to proclaim himself to be God right there in the temple. Another aspect, I think, of this idea, his appearance was greater than his fellows. All of these great leaders of the past, rulers over these world empires, they definitely had some fairly massive territory that they had control of. But never before in human history has any one man had control over the entire planet. So for the first and last time in human history, prior to the worldwide rule of Jesus Christ, one man will rule over the entire planet. I think that's another aspect of this idea that his appearance was greater than his fellows because he will rule over not just a part of the planet, but the whole planet. Verse 21, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And again, this has caused some people to say, well, I think that we are going to be here for the tribulation because we're told here in, in uh, Daniel and also Revelation that he'll be making war against the saints. Revelation 13, 7, it was granted him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. But this is referring to the saints on earth during the tribulation, the converts, the ones who come to Christ during the tribulation. As I've mentioned before, I believe the greatest revival in, in history of the church will take place right after the rapture. Millions of people all over the world will realize that we crazy Christians were actually right. And they will immediately repent and come to Christ. But ultimately, for most of them, it will cost them their lives. The martyrs of the tribulation. We will be in heaven with Jesus while all this is going on. But the Antichrist is going to be making war against both the Christians and the Jews during the tribulation, particularly the second half. Verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came... And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom at the end of the tribulation, the Ancient of Days being God the Father. Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Thrones, multiple thrones, because Christ is the judge, but we will be judging along with him. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. I just saw another article where more and more people are getting microchipped. It might be okay for Fluffy or Bowser, but I wouldn't recommend it for yourself. I think our dog is microchipped, actually, come to think of it. So far, she's not acting too weird any weirder than normal. 
I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so this is what Daniel talks about here when he says, the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So verse 21, this horn, the beast, the Antichrist, is making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And again, that's why even though I think it's important that we are aware of what's going on in the world, I show you these videos, I don't want you to be caught off guard, I don't want you to be caught up in the worldwide deception, but at the same time, we cannot be discouraged. Because we see here one verse, the Antichrist is making war against the saints, the tribulation saints, and winning. Sometimes we look around us and we feel like the enemy's winning, don't we? But he's not. He definitely is not. Very next verse, the, the Ancient of Days comes, and it's time for the saints to possess the kingdom. Verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. And that ties in with what Jesus said in the Gospels, that these end times, the last days, the tribulation, would be worse than any other time in human history. And so this kingdom of the beast, the Antichrist, will be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. Folks, understand something. I think you probably do, but let me point it out to you. There's never been a time before in human history where this was even possible. How is it possible for one person to rule over the entire planet because of technology, because of the internet, because of microchips, because of satellites, Everything is in place for the first time in human history. This could not have happened even 100 years ago. But now, every, I told you this a while back. And I like to quote this to some of my friends as well. The devil's plan was set in motion a long time ago. He's just been waiting for man to catch up. And we have caught up with his plan through all the modern technology that we have the, the nuclear warfare, the biological and chemical warfare, the, like I said, the internet, computers, microchips, all the technology, it's all in place. Right now, you can watch somebody on the internet, on TV, on any of uh, various means. You can watch them live in person, broadcasting from Russia, China, anywhere in the world. Is that correct? Yeah. We are now living in the time, the first and only time in human history where the fulfillment of these prophecies is possible. Do you get that? A lot of people don't seem to get that. Peter talks about the scoffers, the mockers. Oh, where's the promise of his coming? Everything continues on now as it always has. No, it doesn't. And no, it's not the same as it's always been. Daniel in chapter 12 said that these things will be sealed until the last days when men will travel to and fro upon the earth, again, travel by high-speed jet airplanes and so forth. I've told you this before, too. Up until the 20th century, man was never able to travel faster than 20 miles per hour. Think of that. By horseback, by ship on the ocean, you name it, until the 20th century. Now he can go 20,000 miles an hour in a space shuttle. You don't think we're living in the times of Daniel? 
the time when men shall travel to and fro about the earth, and knowledge shall increase. There's been more knowledge amassed in our lifetimes than in the whole entire course of human history prior to our time put together. And it's increasing at such a rapid rate. The minute you walk out of the store with a new cell phone, a new uh, tablet, a new laptop, or what have you, it's almost obsolete by the time you get to your car. And all those things we used to see in the Jetsons and different, oh, you know, the flying cars and all that kind of stuff, it's all starting to become a reality. The self-driven cars, of course, some of those crash and kill people, but there was just another story of a family in Florida. Their home was saved from the hurricane, but their electric car blew up and destroyed their house. Isn't technology wonderful? Okay. Different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. And so again, see, that's the deceptiveness of this demonic, satanic, global, one-world plan that's already operating. It's not even in the shadows anymore. It's pretty much out in the open. The thing they will tell you is we're going to usher in worldwide peace. When they shall say peace and safety, then what happens? Sudden destruction. The thief, the devil, John 10.10, comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, they're all telling us that, you know, uh, global warming, climate change is destroying the planet. We have to go green. We have to get rid of all faults. We have to do this and that and the other thing to create the perfect world that we've all been looking for, hoping for, longing for. But it's going to be just the opposite. He's going to destroy all things. He shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it to pieces. So the deception is, now that the crazy Christians are gone, we're going to have utopia. We're going to finally have our perfect world. But instead, what's going to happen, he's going to break it in pieces. All right, verse 24. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. And so we've mentioned before, when you get to the fourth kingdom, it's a two-part kingdom. The first part is the original Roman Empire, which um, died almost 2,000 years ago. The second half of this two-part kingdom is the rule and reign of the Antichrist. So the final form, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, the final form of the Roman world power will be a confederation of ten, my notes say nations, but it's not really nations, it's ten sectors. We just saw in the video how they want to do away with the independent countries of North America, Mexico, United States, Canada, and make one unit out of all of that. It'll be a confederation of ten sectors, political economic sectors, who will arise simultaneously in the tribulation days. And it could very well be that's what's going on in Eastern Europe with the Ukraine, with Russia, is another piece of that puzzle going forward as we see a lot of crazy things playing out there. Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. 
Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So we see several things here as we move into this final section of chapter 7. One, the Antichrist will march to power by subduing three of the ten regions. That was verse 24. Two, he will blaspheme God, verse 25. Three, he will try in some way to change times and laws in order to promote his anti-Christian program. And we've already seen the beginnings of that because uh, in most of the world, the secular world in particular, they no longer use A.D. and B.C. Have you noticed that? We've traditionally understood that before the birth of Christ, B.C., A.D., uh, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, a lot of people say it means after death. No, but it means Anno Domini in the Latin, the year of our Lord. But now it's BCE, before the common era, and then CE, the common era. They've done away with anything that relates to, to God and to Jesus Christ. Okay, so thirdly, he'll try in some way to change times and laws in order to promote his anti-Christian program. And then that's verse 25 and, verse, and the fourth thing. He will persecute God's saints, Jew and Gentile, verse 25, for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And again, we see him speaking pompous words against the Most High, Revelation 13, 6. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Blaspheming those on earth and on heaven. God, his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So again, these tribulation saints, the second half of the tribulation will be when the persecution of believers really gets hot and heavy. And as we will see in Daniel chapter 9 and Revelation 13 that we've studied recently, halfway through the tribulation, the false prophet sets up an image of the Antichrist in the temple in Jerusalem and demands that the whole world worship him. We've seen recently how certain political figures, religious figures, economic figures have risen almost to that level of being worshipped. And you could argue even that some have been, right? So it's not that far-fetched to see the planet getting to that point, particularly when people become so twisted and depraved in their minds. When Christians and Jews refuse... To worship him, all hell will break loose and the worst holocaust in human history will begin, unfortunately. But again, as I said before, all these things have to unfold to happen in order for God's plan to be fully carried out. Daniel 9.27, he will confirm a covenant. This is the Antichrist. Again, he will confirm a covenant, an agreement, a treaty, if you will, with many for one seven, seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So we know that after the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, they will begin to practice once again their offerings, their sacrifices, which they've not been able to do for 2,000 years. He will put an end to this sacrifice and offering halfway through the tribulation. So he's going to let the Jews do their thing for a while, but eventually... Gradually, as it moves towards the middle of the tribulation, he's going to cause that to cease and he's going to proclaim himself to be God. Just like the ancient Roman emperors did, by the way. 
and many others down through the centuries, the Egyptian pharaohs proclaiming themselves to be gods. And at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's his image. That's the abomination that causes desolation, whether it's a hologram, uh, some kind of a robotic entity. We know those are becoming more and more advanced. Some type of a, an image of himself in the temple. Revelation 13, 11 through 15. I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. This is the, the leader of the one world religion, the one world church, who will be the Antichrist's right-hand man, if you will. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And so there's also going to be some kind of a satanic, demonic resurrection, again, identifying him as the Antichrist. And it performed great signs, this false prophet, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. By what means, we do not know, whether it's demonic, satanic, or some kind of a flim-flam act. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. And so that's what's coming halfway through the tribulation, uh, forecast here by Daniel. In verse 26, but the court shall be seated. And so again, we're kind of bouncing back and forth between various time frames here. Now we go back to the idea that they're going to be judged. The court shall be seated, they shall be taken, they shall take away his dominion, the dominion of the Antichrist, to consume and destroy it forever. So the heavenly court presided over by the Ancient of Days will dethrone the Antichrist and condemn him to hell. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. It's kind of interesting that uh, one of the great aspirations of our founding fathers and of this great nation was that it would be a government for, of, and by the people, right? The greatest experiment in freedom the world has ever known. And yet now we see people seem to be more and more willing to come under totalitarian rule. Have you noticed that? I don't think people any longer want to be responsible for their own freedom. They'd rather just have somebody else tell them what to do, tell them what to think, tell them how to live. And by the way, that's exactly setting the stage for the coming of the Antichrist. But our heritage, our legacy as saints, as God's children is that we will indeed have dominion, shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. All the greatest hopes, dreams, and aspirations of mankind will be fulfilled through the kingdom of Christ. Sad that so many people don't see it. They don't recognize it. That everything they hope for, long for, dream for is found in our God. Because he put those hopes and dreams there. 
those desires. The greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. Right now, it might look like we're losing, folks. But in the end, we win. Hold on to that. Hang on to that. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous, Jesus the first fruits, and then at the rapture of the church, those that are dead in Christ shall rise first, as we know. Over such the second death. It's that old expression I've shared with you before. Born once, die twice. If you're not born again, if you're only born once, if you only know physical birth but not spiritual birth, you're going to die physically and then you're going to spend an eternity of conscious death, spiritual death, separated from God. But if you're born twice, if you're born again, you only die once. This physical body dies, but then you go into the presence of the Lord and you ultimately receive your eternal, glorified, immortal, imperishable, incorruptible body. Blessed is he who has part in the first resurrection over the second death. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years and then to infinity and beyond. For those of you who have ever fantasized about being Buzz Lightyear, you will be to infinity and beyond. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. And 11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All dominions shall serve and obey him. And as I've said before, there are no non-believers in the afterlife. So better to choose him now. Bow the knee now while you still can because you will ultimately bow your knee to him. But if you wait till after this life is over, it's too late. Verse 28, this is the end of the account, Daniel says. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel was given such a massive dose of human history going all the way through the entire end times scenario that he was kind of on overload here even though he's now been given the explanation or the understanding of his night visions he's still troubled before he was troubled by what he didn't know now he's troubled by what he does know he said my countenance changed he would never be the same after receiving this incredible revelation from God but I kept the matter in my heart it reminds me of Jesus mother and her reaction to the incredible events surrounding the birth of her son, God's son. Luke 2.19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's what's going on with Daniel here now. And folks, we too must keep these things and ponder them in our hearts, for we're closer now to the fulfillment than at any other time in human history. Romans 13.8-11 through 11. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time 
that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Luke 21, 28. Now Jesus says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your eyes or your heads because your redemption draws near. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads as we go to the Lord in prayer. And if anyone has a prayer request this morning, please raise your hand. We'd like to lift those requests up to the Lord. See quite a few hands. Father, first of all, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible information you've given us dating back thousands of years, Lord, because time is immaterial to you. Time means nothing to you. You are the eternal I am. But we thank you, Lord, that you have, in your love, your grace, and your mercy, revealed these things to us, made them known to us, that we might be equipped. As Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, that you, Father, have given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, Lord. So you have not left us without the proper tools, the proper equipment, the proper information. Thank you, God. We praise you for giving us insight and understanding into the truths of your word. Now, Lord, I want to lift up those prayer requests. Lord, there could be some here this morning that... Um, are struggling financially. These are challenging times. But Lord, help us to be, always be mindful of the fact that you are our provider. And so we look to you for provision, whether it be through a job or other means, however you choose to do it. Lord, we know that your word does talk about the fact that we are to work, we are to provide for ourselves and our families. And sometimes that's difficult for any number of reasons. It could be health issues. It could be lack of job opportunities. Whatever it is, Lord, we lift it all up to you. And we pray that anyone here today or anyone watching at home that's struggling, that you would give wisdom and guidance to each one to know what avenues to pursue. And Lord, sometimes we're to just wait upon you. That's the hardest part. So I just pray for your help for each one. And Lord, that you would help us as believers, to, to help one another, to encourage one another, to support one another, and when we have opportunity to help make provision for one another. That is our calling and our responsibility as the body of Christ. But we lift those economic issues up to you. We pray for relief. We pray for answers. We pray for help in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we also pray for uh, relationships, marriages. Lord, we know that that's a prime target for the enemy particularly Christian marriages, because a Christian marriage brings glory and honor to you, Father. And it's, it's part of your divine plan for the human race. And it's to be, as Paul talks about, that the earthly marriage is a reflection of our relationship with Christ as the bride of Christ. So we pray for healing in marriages. We pray for discernment, for wisdom, Lord, that those who are struggling could recognize that they're not each other's enemies, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms, and that you'd give us the strength we need to successfully wage spiritual warfare against the powers of darkness. Lord, that you'd help those who are struggling, whether it be a marriage, a friendship, a work relationship, a school relationship, a neighborhood relationship, some other family members. 
Lord, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to, come, to fight back against that attack of the enemy and that you would uh, bring victory to those struggling with broken and damaged relationships, Father. We thank you. We praise you for that. We pray for mental and emotional health, that you would just uh, deliver those struggling with depression, anxiety, and, and different mental and emotional issues. Lord, you said we have a sound mind in Christ. You've given us the mind of Christ. Help us to receive that, to believe it, to receive it, to walk in it. Lord, that you'd bind all depression and anxiety away from each one here today. And then uh, finally, Lord, we pray for physical health. Lord, you are the healer of our bodies, the savior of our souls. You're our creator. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know us inside and out. And we do humbly call upon you for physical healing, for whether it's something like a cold or a flu or something much more serious. Lord, we know that it's all the same to you. Nothing is too difficult. We ask that you'd pour out your healing power upon every afflicted saint in this room here today and those watching online, Lord. We just ask that you would bolster and boost our faith, help us to trust you and to believe you for the healing of our bodies. And Lord, no matter what you choose, because you are sovereign, you are Lord, you're in control. Like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Lord, we do call upon you for healing. But regardless of our physical condition, we will never turn away from you. We will always love you, serve you, live for you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.